Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Heidi Kumjan, and I am the host of Lifelong Podcast. And I am so grateful that you are spending some time with me and my special guest today because I could not be more excited to be chatting about homesteading and homeschooling. Oh my goodness, how many of my listeners are interested in having their own homestead one day or and or being a homeschooling parent one day. These are two areas that I wanted to learn more about myself, and so I wanted to start bringing on some experts in those areas to not only educate myself selfishly, but to also educate my audience because I know that a lot of you are like-minded. So today I am bringing on Stacy from the From Scratch Farmhouse. And I could not be more excited because she is a homeschooling and homesteading mom of seven on a mission to ditch the grocery store and improve our health. So please join me in welcoming Stacy Drubdahl. Hi, Stacy. How are you? Hi, great. How are you? Doing well. I could not be more excited to chat about homesteading and homeschooling today. And you are the perfect guest for that because you are a homesteader and a homeschooling mother of seven. And I just can't wait to hear all about your story and all about your tips for homesteading and homeschooling. A lot of people in my audience are interested in that way of life. So would love to just jump right into it from the get-go and hear a bit about your story and your journey of getting to where you are today as this homesteading, homeschooling mother of seven. Okay. I'm so happy to be here, so thanks for having me. So I'll just give you a quick backstory on our journey. So both my husband and I were raised in traditional, you know, normal American homes. So our moms were home. We weren't, you know, they were home making homemade meals in accordance with what they believed was a homemade meal. And so they that meant lots of boxes of things and canned foods. And the only fruit we ever ate was like fruit cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my idea of a home cooked meal. And we were lucky enough to have that much. But then as I got older and started having my own babies, I realized that there was more to this low toxin life and, you know, fresh foods and I started to delve into healthy eating more and I realized that my from scratch meals weren't actually from scratch when you were dumping cans and boxes and that sort of thing (laughs) into your meals and so I started to really research it more and that's when I came upon this like homesteading life and we were a young married couple at that time and that's when we started our first garden canned our first items, and it really just took off from there. We started getting, you know, animals, chickens, goats, and little by little over the years, we've added to that. Wow. And then about five years ago, we were living in Washington at the time, and we decided that we wanted to simplify our lives more. Washington was a very expensive state and kind of difficult to homestead in. Lots Mm. of regulations around animals and food. So we looked at other locations to move to, and we ended up in rural Wisconsin. So five years ago, we moved our family across the country (laughs) and started our home journey here, homesteading journey here. And yeah, it's been a wild ride, but we're so grateful to have more land here and just more abilities to homeschool our children and things like that. Mm, That is so awesome. And I 
love the Wisconsin connection. I know I was telling you that earlier, but that yeah. is super cool. And as far as moving across the nation from Washington to Wisconsin, I mean, that's a mighty trek. How did you get all of your animals? Like, where, what was the process of, you know, you started kind of this homesteading journey mm-hmm. over there, and then I would imagine it grew bigger when you got to Wisconsin, but how did that transpire? How did you, like, shut yeah. that down, get animals here? Like, walk us through that, because I'm, I'm sure it was very complicated. It was, but it all just fell into place. I think it was just meant to be. So a lot of people ask me about, you know, relocating Mm -hmm. and especially people who are looking to homestead, they're considering moving to other states. And so I, that's something I talk about a lot. And I will say that it went a lot smoother than you would imagine. So we knew that we'd have to start fresh here a little bit, but we were kind of excited about that. So what we did was my husband actually moved out here for his job two months before I moved. Okay. So that gave me two months to just finish up things, sell the house, sell. We sold all of our larger animals. So we didn't bring any goats or anything like that, our pigs. Um, and then we, mm-hmm. but when we did move across the country, we were in a minivan with a trailer hitch on the back and we put a dog kennel of chickens on that <laughs> kennel. So we were quite the sight. Oh, and then we gosh. had a bunch of kittens too with us in the van oh, in a gosh. little cat carrier. And then we'd get them out and the kids would play with them, which is an excellent tip for moving across the country with kids. I will say it kept them entertained the whole time. Oh yeah. But we were quite the sight. I remember, you know, people looking at us when we'd pull up to the hotels and it's like, <laughs> yep, hi, here we are <laughs> with all of our chickens. <laughs> and they all That's survived the awesome. trip. It went great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So it, this the move went great there's definitely some hurdles you know when you move to a location so far away you, it takes a lot to get settled find land and find mm-hmm. a place to live and all that but it really just fell into place so I just think it was meant to be that's awesome I love that mindset too and that's hilarious about the chickens I wish I could have seen that <laughs> I feel like if yeah. I were driving down the road and I saw you guys pass by like I would just be totally amazed and enthralled yeah, I'm oh, yeah. sure it was quite the same. Well, especially, you know, when you picture chickens off the back of a vehicle, you're picturing like an old farm truck or something. Uh-huh. But this van, you could tell there were six children in it, in their, <laughs> all of their belongings. Like the yeah. windows, I'm sure, had stuffed animals and blankies and pillows. And Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's amazing. So with up and moving to Wisconsin, what are some things to keep in mind when picking a state or even on the micro level, finding the land to have a homestead? What are some of those tips? What should people be looking for? I think it really depends what your goals are. So, and also just your personal beliefs. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure, you know, I think as a kid, I didn't realize how different each state was as far as the culture and the political beliefs and the opportunities within that state to match up with what you believe. Mm. So, Wisconsin specifically has pretty lax homeschooling rules, which we didn't actually know that that was going to be a part of our life at that time. But I'm glad that we ended up in a state with loose homeschooling rules. So that's something to consider if you're, you know, thinking of homeschooling. And then as far as homesteading, there are different laws around what you can sell as far as food and livestock and, you know, how much land is available. 
I know, you know, if you're relocating to California, it's going to be a lot more difficult to find land to farm, if that's your intention, Mm -hmm. or even just homestead on a larger level than it is in Wisconsin, where it's normal to have 50, 60, 100 acres. So I think just really land costs and regulations of the location you're moving to. And then as far as picking a location within your state, I would say to really pay attention to your natural resources on that land. So Mm -hmm. do you have water access? How is the soil? Soil Mm. is huge. I would say that's the number one thing to look at because you don't want to be fighting your soil. Mm -hmm. And then also the slope of that land, especially if you don't have much to work with. We've fought that over the years in other locations as well. Is it a south-facing slope? Is it a north-facing slope? Is it a, you know, very steep slope? Wow. And you wouldn't... Yeah, so these are some things that have really affected how we've been able to homestead in different locations mm-hmm. and we really paid attention to when we were moving here. Oh my gosh, yeah, there there are a lot of different things to think about and I I dream of having a homestead one day. Right now I'm in Chicago and it's totally the opposite of homesteading, but it's part of my journey. It's where I'm at right now and I love just learning more about homesteading and I like knowing that it's a possibility in my future because I think I just heard about strawberries from Costco being recalled and food and there was all the thing weird things going on with eggs for a while and I just want to be able to grow my own food and have access to everything and be self-sufficient. So I really envy you. That's incredible in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I will say too, so, well, two things that I thought of. As far as your location and, you know, you feel like you can't homestead now because you're in the city, so many people are in that same position. And I always tell them you can homestead where you're at. Mm -hmm. And even if you're an apartment in a city, you can still be a homesteader in the sense that homesteading starts in the kitchen. And it starts with your, you know, skills of baking bread and making food from scratch. And then as far as, you know, self-sufficiency is the other thing. I used to believe in self-sufficiency. I wanted to live in the middle of Alaska in the woods, you know, miles from anybody. That was my idea of homesteading and self-sufficiency. But over the years, I've realized that what I really want is community sufficiency. Mm. And so even if you're in the city, you still have farms all around you within driving distance. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell people who are stuck, you know, it doesn't matter if you're stuck in New York City, take your Saturdays with your family, drive to the outskirts, you know, go find those farms. They are out there Mm -hmm. and source your food locally and then bring it home and do all of the homesteading things that you would have if you would have, you know, grown it in your backyard. And in that sense, there's really the bulk of homesteading can be done no matter where you live. So I really think that that should be the focus because everyone thinks when they want to start homesteading to go get the chickens. (laughs) That's number (laughs) one. And then they want to start digging up their backyard. But I found that in going that route, I had produced all of this food. We had a huge garden the first year we were into homesteading. Huge. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with the food. I didn't know (laughs) how to cook it. The food ended up going to waste for a big part of that year because I didn't know what to do with it or how to prepare it. So I always tell people to start where you're at and homestead where you're at. And, you know, the land, that's just a bonus later. Wow, that's incredible. And it's almost like taking, it's really bringing it down to what is that first step? No matter where you are, like having that understanding of baking bread and cooking food from scratch versus getting the chickens and growing all this Mm -hmm. food and like 
what do you do with it? You need you need to mm-hmm. have that plan and, and all of that. So in a way, maybe I am homesteading a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I love cooking and I have some local farm stands that I get try to get most Perfect. of our produce from and mm-hmm. totally only getting meat now locally because I just don't trust Whole Foods and Costco and the big big box stores. Plus, I just want to support my health and the environment and farmers and the local economy. So all good things, but that's a really beautiful message. And it's it's very motivating too, because I think maybe being someone who lives in a city, it's it's easy to think, oh, well, I can't do it. You know, bummer. It's woe is yeah. me. But no, like, let's look on the bright side and start trying yeah. with what we have and making do. There's so many people who are doing it. And shameless plug, but I have a membership and this is what made me think about it because a lot of people are asking, well, can I join? Because I don't have land. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, yes, you can. It was created for you too. And I go through exactly how to source your food locally and how to go through these steps of becoming a homesteader from wherever you're at. So I've seen the process. I've seen people do it. And it's amazing when they realize that Oh, yeah, I can homestead from my apartment in New York City. Wow. Yeah, that's super (laughs) cool. And I'll definitely link that in the show notes so everyone can check it out. I guess what are some other tips to becoming a homesteader? I guess what or what are some of the obstacles that one should consider before taking the leap to buying land and buying animals. If they're at that level of homesteading, what are the biggest things to consider? Not just in regard to deciding on the land, but for example, I know some people where they think it's a cool and trendy thing and they want to jump into it because they're frustrated with politics or something like that. Mm -hmm. But they're maybe not thinking through all the logistics and realizing that it might be some manual labor and things like that. So what are some of the unglamorous sides of, of homesteading? Oh, man. <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> yeah. No, you're fine. Oh, yeah. So it is kind of funny. So especially being a creator on Instagram yeah. and seeing that whole glamorous side of homesteading. And I think a lot of people forget that it's not very glamorous. <laughs> For example, we have a milk cow And a lot of the time, to be honest, I don't take a lot of video footage out there when we're milking and in the barn. And it's because it doesn't match up with what people are looking for. They Mm. don't want to see piles of manure and they don't want to see, you know, how dirty that cow is before we (laughs) drink milk out of it. (laughs) Like it is that, you know, and all the chores and work that comes with it. And they just picture, you know, being out in the field, milking your cow by its side. And that's cute and that's happened. But it's not the bulk of the work that comes with having a milk cow. And I think that that's true for all of it. So I would say to really step back and look at what your goals are. What are you trying to accomplish with homesteading? If it's just simplifying your life, then you might not even need animals in that equation. Mm. And you might get in over your head if you go starting a whole homestead of cows and chickens and pigs and you realize well actually we wanted to slow down our pace of life and now we're in over our head and Mm -hmm. you know staying up till midnight taking care of these animals while we're working a full-time job and here you haven't simplified your life you've complicated it yeah and so I think it's really important to look at your goals and 
pick a few to start with. And then also when you do have land and you have the availability to start a homestead, to really map it out. See, are, are we going to put animals here? What's that going to look like? And even the garden. Think about the goals with that. Are you just growing a garden because you want to dig in the dirt? I have a friend who loves to garden and she doesn't preserve one tomato. (laughs) (laughs) And that's her idea of, you know, homesteading for her is just she Mm -hmm. just wants to be out in nature and digging in the dirt and that's fine. But if your goal is to produce all of your family's food, it's going to take a little bit more planning and figuring out what your family eats and starting there. I've had many a garden that didn't do anything. Well, I shouldn't say do anything. We're still going out and picking some tomatoes and having fresh food from it. But at the end of that gardening season, I didn't really have much to show from it other than we had a few fresh salads. So now my intention is really to focus on what does our family eat? What we what do we need to produce in order to produce, you know, a year's worth of vegetables for our family mm-hmm. and go from there. Yeah, it takes a lot a lot of planning for sure. How are you balancing being an entrepreneur, a mom, a homesteader, and homeschooling your kids? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> balance, balance is a joke. <laughs> it's. I think it's more jumping from thing to thing mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to eliminate anything in your schedule and your time that, you know, is not focused on your priorities. So once you take out all of the extra, then it is easier. But as far as balance, I mean, if you're trying to balance being an entrepreneur and homeschooling and homesteading, it's not like I have a schedule and we follow it. And actually, I just did a YouTube video on our morning routine. And that is a big bulk of it, having a plan Mm -hmm. and knowing that at this time we work on this and on this time we work on this. But it's still chaos because that's what family life is Mm -hmm. right and I don't want to give this impression like we have it all figured out or Mm -hmm. that there's not moments of like oh mom needs to work can you just sit and read a book Mm -hmm. you know because we all have that and to pretend that that's not there is lying (laughs) but I do think that routine helps I do think that schedules help and also just simplifying and taking out all the unnecessary for example my kids don't do extracurriculars Now, they do play sports in the sense that we are at the mountain every Wednesday in the winter skiing, Mm. and they go play basketball with friends, and there's things like that. Mm -hmm. But we've just decided that in our life in this time, you know, those extracurriculars that take up the evenings are not fitting with our and our goals for our family. So Mm. you just have to simplify. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all of that, and I recently when I was going through all of your stuff after I found you on Instagram, and then I was deep into your YouTube, which by the way, I love. I watched your morning routine video and I noticed that your children have specific chores and it seems like they're very much a part of the making things happen every day. Like your kids are definitely a part of it. They're not just sitting on the iPad while, you know, mom is doing literally every single thing. So how are you getting your kids involved in in the chores? I think a big part of why it looks so easy, a lot of people ask me, how do you get your kids to do chores? Well, it's all they've ever known. Mm -hmm. I mean, since they were tiny, they knew that they had to pull their weight. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would say that you are correct in that, I mean, all of this homesteading business would not happen without my kids. I mean, I guess without the kids, I wouldn't need so much food either. Mm -hmm. But in the sense that, for example, my kids do all of the milking. Wow. I don't go out there unless I'm needed or to check up on things, you know, make sure 
that she's looking healthy and, mm-hmm. you know, the right amount of grain, I do go and check up. But for the most part, on a daily basis, my kids handle the milking. The boys milk one day and the girls milk the next day. Or when we're milking twice a day, then they do – boys do morning, girls do night. Mm -hmm. And they just know that this is part of a family – a family life Mm -hmm. is pitching in because, you know, they have requirements of, you know, needing to eat and needing to be cared for. And in order to make all that happen, they know that they have to contribute to that. Mm -hmm. But I think also it helps to be scheduled and to have – the lists because during times when I haven't been scheduled and I haven't had the chore list and it's just up to me to point and shoot, then it becomes overwhelming and it's easier for me to just say, okay, just go somewhere and I'll do it all. And when I've planned it out and it's on, you know, I'm sure you saw in the morning routine video, they have a checklist. Mm-hmm. So when they can just go to that and see what's next and I can go to that and see what's next, it takes the stress out of it and we can... I'll get everything done that needs to be done in, in sharing. So that's awesome. I love that. I, I want my kids to be like that one day too. Once I have children, I want to get them involved at a young age mm-hmm. and very good point about it being a part of family life. Like this is how it works. We all help each other. It's not one person carrying it all, which unfortunately I feel like that happens a lot in our mainstream oh, yeah. world, sure. which we don't even need to go down that road because you're you're into the homesteading and homeschooling life that you and I are not super mainstream people. Probably <laughs> going not. a little <laughs> against the grain, maybe a little yeah. countercultural in the best possible way, and mm-hmm. it's fun. How do you, I yeah. guess, get find community when doing something that could be viewed in mainstream culture's eyes as you know countercultural mm-hmm. that it matters so much but i'm sure it occurs at some points or you encounter a family member or you know yeah. someone on youtube in the comments yeah know. oh the comments <laughs> oh the comments yeah. <laughs> i was just thinking as we were talking about the chores i had quite a few people over the years i've had quite a few people say things like my kids are being abused because they're doing chores, you know, that was child abuse for them to, you know, be cleaning something. And that just kind of boggles my mind. I mean, I grew up doing chores, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though I didn't grow up in a homesteading life. So that mentality is just beyond me. Mm -hmm. But I always think I'm I'm preparing my kids for being adults, not for being, you know, kids for the rest of their life. That's my goal as a parent. But as far as, you know, building community, I think it is important to have people who you can kind of talk about these things with and you know how how are you making this work or what were you how do you preserve this even things like that it's very nice to share recipes and ideas and kid training tips and so I have built a community both locally amongst my friends and who are into that and I think just naturally we're attracted to people who have the same ideals so we have a large church group here and I think I have naturally become closer with people within that church who have, you know, the similar ideas of wanting to homestead and garden and all these things, similar Mm -hmm. interests. Mm -hmm. And then as far as outside of my local area, because that can be hard, especially if you've moved rurally and you don't know people, um, the online world is a wonderful place for that. And I never thought I'd say that, actually. I used to be pretty against using the internet for anything. Mm -hmm. And I really tried to reject that whole online, especially social media. I was never going to take part in social media. 
But it has honestly been such a blessing to be able to connect with so many like-minded people and be inspired by others who are also on this homesteading journey. So I think if it's difficult to find that community locally, still do it, still pursue it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's homeschool groups are a great place. You know, your local library may have groups that get together that talk about, you know, different things that interest you that are along the same lines, even crafting groups. And then farmer's markets are a great way to meet people who are also interested in that. Oh, you know, another place that I have met people locally that are very like-minded is, have you ever heard of Azure Standard? Yes, I have. That's the one where it's, they have like drop-off points in different areas. So this is where we get a bulk of our food that we don't grow. Pretty much everything we don't grow, we get from Azure Standard. Okay. I've done it since we lived in Washington and thankfully they deliver fairly close. We have to drive an hour and a half to get there from here. So I just do it once or twice a year. But those drop points have been a great place to meet other people who have similar values and ideas and are homesteading. And because pretty much everybody who buys from Azure Standard is in the realm of homesteading. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, that's a great place to meet people too. That's really cool. Actually, a friend of mine in the area well, I'm in the Chicago suburbs and this friend of mine is also in the Chicago suburbs and she told me about it. So the okay. fact that she's doing it and she's here in the, you know, city mm-hmm. is cool. Wow. I'm yeah, going to definitely great, check that out. It's a great buying option. I have quite a few videos on my YouTube channel as well mm. that go over how it works and what I buy and all that sort of thing. What are, we're, we're for sure going to have the audience check out all your YouTube videos, but what are some of the items that you would end up sourcing from Azure versus growing at home or, you know, getting on the homestead? So there's quite a few things that don't grow here or that would be very difficult to grow on the level that we need to to Mm -hmm. support our family. So the biggest things I would say are grains. Now, of course, we have acreage. We could potentially grow wheat, but that just doesn't feel like something I'm ready to take on at this point or maybe even the best use of our land. So we do buy all of our bulk wheat, oats, things like sugar, and then things that we can't grow here like vanilla and spices. You can buy bulk spices from them. And I mean, I have a pretty long list of things, you know, coconut Mm -hmm. milk powder, random things like that. And then occasionally we'll get produce from them. They have pretty good deals on organic bulk produce. So in the summer, if there is like, for example, last year, our cucumbers didn't do great to the point where, I mean, I wanted to pickle everything. (laughs) So I was making all different kinds of pickles and relishes and I wanted more cucumbers. And I tried to get them locally. And Mm -hmm. here in Wisconsin, our growing season is pretty short. So I had missed that boat for getting them locally. So I did purchase a big box from Azure and they were great. That was an excellent opportunity. So that's awesome. Yeah. That was my next question too, with being in Wisconsin, having a tricky climate. I grew up there, so I know I know what it's like. Plus, I'm still in the Midwest. It's it's cold here a lot of the time. So what are the, I guess, like staple items that are your go-tos that usually always do well in the Wisconsin winter or Wisconsin cold climate? Mm-hmm. Wisconsin winter, which is most of our year, right? Yeah. <laughs> winter it's, and construction. Yeah, for those who are not familiar, right? For those who aren't familiar with where we live here, we're in northern Wisconsin, and there's like four feet of snow out there. And actually, it is raining today. Yeah, it's great for skiing. But 
it's starting to rain today and everyone's like oh maybe the snow will melt (laughs) maybe (laughs) so yeah it's a pretty harsh climate here and we have a pretty short growing season however so i moved from washington which was we were i believe in a zone 7b ish and then here we're 4b so it was a pretty big jump and i was afraid that it would limit our you know availability to grow all the things but honestly it's been fine we actually can grow things here sometimes better than i could in washington wow and part of that is our location like our microclimate here so i say that but in washington we were on a north facing slope here we're on a south facing slope Mm. and i would say that has made a way bigger difference than moving across the country as far as zones Wow. because for example we struggle there i never grew peppers and tomatoes in washington People do, mm-hmm. but on my north-facing slope, it was difficult. I couldn't get those things to ripen and or even grow properly. Mm. And it's more wet there, or it can be. And so here we have very humid, hot summers, and we're on a north-facing slope, and I can grow all the tomatoes and peppers. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say don't feel like you're limited by that if you do have a short growing season. There's a lot. I don't think there's anything. I mean, obviously, we're not growing tropical fruits here, but I didn't feel in moving from Washington to Wisconsin that there were, I can't think of anything I could grow out there that I can't grow here. Mm, Maybe okay. there is a few things that I'm not thinking of, but for the most part, I'm able to grow most everything, you know, vegetable-wise that we eat. Wow. So. I don't feel limited to that. To that, The only thing that gets to me is when I'm looking on Instagram and it's, say, March and everyone else is out in their gardens and I'm like, yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no garden. My garden is under four feet of snow right yeah. now. That can be difficult mentally, mm-hmm. but I know that I'll catch up. Mm-hmm. So we start planting here in the end of May or June, beginning of June, and it'll all catch up and I'll have just as much produce by the end wow. as most people other places. So that's super yeah, encouraging, super encouraging. Even though it's a shorter window, you're still able to crank out a ton of yeah. produce. And then and what catches is, up. what does the process then look like when you're preparing for winter? So this past growing season was our most aggressive growing season mm. as far as trying to preserve everything. Mm -hmm. And so our goal was to preserve all of our family's food. Not, I shouldn't say all, but the majority of our family's food for the year. So obviously we're still buying all that stuff from Azure, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to can and everything that we had grown and that we had sourced locally. So there's definitely, I've become more strategic about it over the years, figuring out what exactly do we need? Like how many jars of this and how many, you know, jars of that? Mm -hmm. And how many pounds of onions do we need? And so I've really figured out what we've needed over the years. And this past year, I really just went for it in trying to, you know, grow all the things. And it's a very busy season. So not just gardening, but Mm -hmm. we're also growing our own meat and butchering our own meat. Mm. And then once it gets into fall, then we're hunting and, you know, everything that comes with that. So it is a very busy season and we're always relieved to get to fall and winter when things slow down. And you're stocked up. (laughs) Yep. And we're stocked up. And, you know, especially this past year with all the you know, worries of food shortages, shortages, I cannot speak. And then also the cost of food going up. And so many people were in a panic over the cost of food. And it was such a good feeling to be able to go down to, we have a very large cellar packed full of food Mm -hmm. and just know that 
I don't have to buy anything. I mean, we could live off of this for a long time. Yeah. So to not feel like that increase in cost really affected us. Mm. So that was really nice. That is super nice because going to the grocery store nowadays is not not the most fun thing with inflation and and all that, but very cool. So is your is your pantry or cellar rather now that it's we're it's spring officially as of two days ago (laughs) is it is there still a good amount of food left or you kind of like okay it's time it's go time soon to get to honestly (laughs) I go down there and I'm like we gotta start eating okay (laughs) there is we we probably erred on the side of, you know, wanting to have more in there than mm-hmm. not enough. That's good. And yeah, it's a good thing. I'm not complaining. And as far as canned food, it will be fine. Even if, let's say, we don't finish off the tomatoes in there, which we will not. There are so many canned tomatoes in there. But it is kind of a buffer. Let's say we have a bad year for tomatoes this year. Yeah. I'm set for a whole nother year, really. And canned food is fine. Technically, it doesn't really go bad it just loses its nutrients and coloring and flavor over time. Mm. And so, you know, there's a point to where I wouldn't eat it. I wouldn't trust the seals on those jars and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it'll be just fine for another year. And yeah, I would say it's pretty, it's looking pretty stocked. So I actually, Good. I just did this YouTube video showing my cellar. I did a cellar tour. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's actually kind of impressive how much is left. However, we still have a pretty long period of time until we're eating fresh here. So even though spring is here, technically, you know, we aren't going to be eating fresh from the garden for a few months to come. So it's nice to have that buffer. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And again, that is really awesome that you have more food than less food, especially when you are kind of going against, not going against, but it's part of your mission to be self-sufficient and kind of avoid the grocery store Uh, it's kind of my motto to ditch the grocery store and you know I've had some kickback on that and it's like okay so to be honest we we will still go to the grocery store for convenience items or Mm -hmm. things that we want but I guess what I'm aiming towards is not feeling so dependent on it Mm -hmm. that if things shut down again as we've seen can happen or for any reason let's say we have a job loss and we can't afford you know that extra food expense Mm -hmm. And even just avoiding all of the things that come with store-bought food, the toxins and, oh, you know, yeah. the recalls and all of that. So it's nice to just know that we have a basis of food here. We can grow our own food and we can survive off of that as much to the extent that we want to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even I encourage people who maybe you don't want to ditch the grocery store completely. It can still be your mission to work towards being a little bit more sufficient, even if it's just the herbs that you're growing in your windowsill. That's true. You know, there's a lot you can do just mm-hmm. where you're at. <clears throat> That's awesome. And what are the six steps? Because I know you have six steps to ditching the grocery store. Oh, on your you're website. going to you're going to test me. Oh, um, <laughs> and I don't have that in front of me, but I'll just I'll just give a brief yeah, overview. or just an overview to yeah ditching the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. So I always say that it starts with figuring out what your family eats. So creating a meal plan is usually that first step that I encourage people to take. And I think people are pretty surprised because when they're first thinking about ditching the grocery store or even growing their own food, you know, they're planting okra and, you know, all of these things, uh, maybe spinach and salad greens that they don't actually eat. Mm 
Mm. And that's not really going to get you anywhere other than testing new foods. That's awesome to try new foods and to learn to eat different things. But it's not going to get you anywhere as far as reducing your dependency on the grocery store if you're not eating okra and spinach. So it really comes down to creating a meal plan first. And it's okay to, you know, research those recipes and figure out what you'd like your family to be eating. Maybe you don't, maybe currently you're eating boxed meals and you want to get away from that. But creating that meal plan is definitely step one. And then I encourage people to create a household inventory. So what I mean by that is to write down everything that your family consumes in a year's time. Mm -hmm. So everything from, you know, does your recipe require tomato sauce or tomato paste? Okay, so write those things down. Potatoes, fruits and veggies that that are needed for those recipes. And then also all of the consumables like personal care, toilet paper, that kind of thing. So you can walk through your house and make this list of what is in your home that you're going to need to be replacing. And you can also look at your receipts from going to the grocery store and seeing what are you buying. Mm -hmm. And so once you create this household inventory and you have your meal plan, then you can start figuring out what you want to grow versus what you're going to source. So this is really going to be dependent on what your situation is. So for those people who are living in the city like you, you're not probably growing all of your own food, but you can start looking at what your sources are and changing those. So I always talk about good, better, and best. So there's where you're at now. Maybe you're buying just generic Walmart tomato paste. Okay, I'm coming up with something random. (laughs) But, you know, maybe good would be buying Walmart's great value organic brand. I don't know if there's even a thing, Mm -hmm. but an organic brand. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, you know, better would be getting it from Azure Standard and buying it in bulk and having it be organic. Mm -hmm. And then your best might be growing those tomatoes yourself or getting them for you, getting them locally and preserving them into tomato paste for your own family. Mm. And so there's these steps that you can take so that it's not so overwhelming. You're not feeling like you're having to do all of the things, but you can start at the bottom and of that list and just work towards it over time. So then those next steps would be sourcing your food from wherever you plan to, whether that's locally, your own garden, or Azure Standard. And then you can start creating meals from scratch and, you know, reducing the number of times that you go to that grocery store or, you know, wherever you are frequently that you want to change. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're already getting all of your ingredients from Azure Standard, but you want to start growing more of your own. Mm -hmm. So everyone's at a different place, but it's just working on that progression. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the areas that you're able to maybe some areas you're able to be at the best part and in other areas you're at the good part but and and that makes it even more motivating too is realizing okay I don't have to be at the best possible standard for everything in my life yes I want to be there but Mm -hmm. trusting that it's a journey and that it's okay like baby steps are the best best thing in these instances, even with non-toxic living, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of having someone throw out every single product in their house at once because they're all toxic, it's like, okay, how about we start with when you run out of your toothpaste, upgrade Mm -hmm. it to a better one. Yeah. And I've done that. You know, (laughs) I've gone and thrown, especially when I was on my non-toxic living kick, yeah. you know, of just getting started. Like I was really into it. And so I went and threw everything out mm-hmm. and I was determined that I wasn't going to use anything with toxins. Mm-hmm. 
And then I was like, well, now what? And first of all, this is very expensive because yeah. now I have to replace all these things at once. But I wasn't yeah. to the point of even knowing what I would replace it with. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I went back to all of those things and ended up buying all those you know, toxin-filled products again because I was overwhelmed. And so it was much more effective to go one step at a time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's the same thing with food. Take it one step at a time. And I will say too, as far as the, you know, good, better, best, there's also stages of life where different different things make more sense. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're at a stage of life, maybe you've already been growing your food, but now you've had three babies back to back and you're overwhelmed. Well, you can go back to buying the, you know, the good, the organic brand of that product Mm -hmm. and you can feel okay about that. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a plan and you know that you're a step above, you know, what you were way back then when you were buying the regular, you know, toxin-filled products and you can put yourself on that spectrum and feel okay about that. And I will say too that, so within my membership, I mostly teach people that process of getting started Mm -hmm. and getting into this homesteading world and growing more of your own food from scratch. However, I'm creating a module right now. It's not released yet, but it's going to be for people who are further along in this journey. And it's called something along the lines of refining your, or fine tuning your from scratch life. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to be geared towards those who are feeling like maybe they're getting older or they're overwhelmed you know, they're growing all of the things, they're doing all of the things, but now time is precious too. Mm-hmm. And so they need to pick, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense for them to grow their potatoes. Maybe they can, they have a local source of potatoes that they can get their potatoes from and they can check that off their list and feel good about that. They're supporting, you know, a local farmer and they don't have to do all of the things. Mm-hmm. Maybe having a milk cow is too much for your family right now. So scale back and find a local farm to source your raw milk from Mm -hmm. and take that off of your list because at the end of the day, you don't want to just be more busy. That's not the goal. Right. And really, the biggest toxin in life is stress. Yeah. So if you're trying to create this non-toxic life, but you're adding a bunch of stress, you're you're hurting your body more than any toxin-filled fruit you could possibly put in your mouth. Absolutely. So... I really encourage people to take a step back, including myself. I'm definitely talking to myself here too in simplifying and realizing what the priorities are and just focusing on those so you're not just leading yourself into a place of stress instead. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the stress aspect too because on this podcast, Lifelong, I I really want non-toxic living to be easy and accessible to all. And a lot of times it's super overwhelming and super stressful. So I want it to be the Mm -hmm. opposite of that. And, you know, in talking to some of my health coaching clients or friends or even followers when they, they come to me and a lot of times there's tons of fear, tons of fear about going out into the real world going out and traveling and maybe having some exposures, maybe eating food that might be with not non-organic, things like that. And I have to remind them that stress is toxic and to enjoy your traveling right now, your diet is going to be a little different. You might be exposed to some chemicals that you're not normally exposed to in your home, but guess what? You have the added positive right now of being on vacation and having these happy times and happy memories that are creating good hormones and endorphins in the body. So 
I encourage them to focus on the, the, the things that are going well instead of like, oh my gosh, I'm out of my routine. I'm getting exposed to toxins. Blah, blah, blah. It's like that is not what we want in the non-toxic space. I don't even know if I should go there, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. (laughs) Okay, so some friends and I were discussing a little phenomenon that we've noticed. So we were talking about why are so many people in the non-toxin and health food world sick? Mm. Chronic illness, different things like that. And I think an aspect of it is definitely that they were – for many of them, they were sick and that's why they pursued this non-toxic life, right? So Mm -hmm. that is a part of that audience for sure. Mm -hmm. However, and speaking about myself, I would say it went the other way. The more that I pursued this homesteading life in the early stages, I actually suffered from chronic illness. And Mm -hmm. I know exactly why. It's stress. Mm -hmm. And there was, when I got sick, I was trying to do it all all (laughs) i had we owned a pumpkin patch and corn maze we were growing all of our own food we were getting all of the animals we had just bought our land i was pregnant i was doing all of the things and trying to have a low tox you know pregnancy and reading all of the books and i i honestly think that i made myself sick with stress Mm. and so you know it kind of goes back to what we were just saying but I do think that there is an aspect of this in the non-toxin world, the health food world, where people are making themselves sick, including myself, stressing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really think that that needs to be talked about more. Like I think we all need to look around and be like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how come that guy who is eating all of the wrong things and doing all of the wrong things is healthier than a good majority of this health food crazed toxin living group that we're a part of yeah and it could be that he's not stressing about what he's eating yeah and there's there's a lot to be said about that and i'm not advocating that we just forget all we've learned and go back to you know everything toxin filled that's not what i'm encouraging but i think that the the focus needs to be more on mental health and stress relief above everything else because otherwise, we're just making ourselves sick, you know, even with our non-toxin living. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's it's a very tricky thing to navigate, especially being in this world of non-toxic living and being a creator in the space. Because obviously, I want to educate people on the toxins and on the importance of living a non-toxic lifestyle. But at the same time... I don't want to be a source of stress. I don't want to be a source of making someone become obsessive about this lifestyle. So I think for me, my approach right now is, okay, anytime I share the scary facts, I have to share solutions Mm -hmm. and I have to make it motivating and I have to meet people where they're at because otherwise this becomes toxic. The whole mindset becomes toxic. I actually had a podcast episode with an awesome woman named Alicia Pope. She's a health coach and a Pilates instructor, but she's very focused on on the mindset. And she came on to my podcast and we talked about the mind as a toxin. And mm-hmm. it, it was a very fascinating conversation, but it's definitely one that that needs to be talked about more. And I agree with you in this 
community of non-toxic living, while it's important and it's great and everyone needs to be talking about it, I, I do think that, that at least that is my belief. It also is so important that these creators, these people in the space are showing up, meeting people where they're at and mm-hmm. not fear mongering because fear mongering right. gets us nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just comes back to, you know, it's great to educate. And I'm glad that I've learned all of the things I have about low toxin living and eating healthier and all of the things. But I think as creators, we have to be careful to not present this idea that we're doing everything perfect. Mm -hmm. So I think we're kind of afraid to even say that, oh, I took my kids to Culver's this weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, that's fast food and it's probably not organic. Mm -hmm. And if we put on this show, like we don't ever stray from this, you know, this lifestyle of never eating something that's not organic. And and maybe I, I shouldn't say, maybe there are people who are like that. But for me personally, we're not doing this perfectly. And in reality, that's not the goal. Mm-hmm. So I would never want to present that because I think that's where the stress comes in. Like people feel like they're so far behind because here their kids have never had a french fry and you know Mm -hmm. maybe they're at a point where their kids are eating them all the time and yeah that's something to change Mm -hmm. so do you follow really very crunchy she's on instagram tiktok youtube all the places she's amazing i actually do not really okay you'll have to look her up i'm giving her a little plug here but so she is amazing but crunchy what's her name really really very crunchy okay really very crunchy. Okay, so she creates like skits. They're funny and it's all about being healthy and non-toxin. You'll love her. Okay. She'll be right up your alley. So her, you know, what she goes to show is like the person who is over the top crunchy, would never allow a toxin in their home mm-hmm. and she's hilarious in doing it. However, I loved on her stories the other day. So that's what she does. She produces these videos. They go out like every day. Mm -hmm. But on her stories the other day, she was showing that her kids were at this homeschool group that they go to on Fridays. And they had set out for St. Patrick's Day, this gold coin like scavenger hunt, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to find the gold coins. And she was saying, and I made sure that the chocolate was non-GMO. And, you know, I made sure it was okay with the other parents. And Mm -hmm. she was kind of like, who am I? Who am I? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was so, it was such like a different thing from her normal, what she puts out there, especially into the world as far as her content yeah. of, you know, her kids would never touch candy. And it was actually refreshing to see. I know that that's her goal with her brand is to, you know, the joke is that she's perfectly crunchy. But yes. to even see that side of it's okay, your kids will be okay if they mm-hmm. have one of those chocolate gold coins. You right. Know? Yeah, and, one um, day out just, of the year. <laughs> yeah, just being real about that. Yeah. So no, I love that story. I, I'm gonna follow her. That's her. I love oh, when people love do little skits and like bring a little bit of laughter to this very serious world. If if your audience is not already following her, they will definitely appreciate her humor. <laughs> That's amazing. I just wanted to mention one more thing too, because now like all these juices are going with what we're talking <laughs> right. about. I don't have children yet, so I. I can't relate to the, you know, letting your kid have a French fry or a gold coin one day out of the year yet. But for mm-hmm. me, I sometimes struggle because I'm educating about toxins. I know about toxins. I'm striving to be as non-toxic as possible, but doing so with baby steps. And I've been on this journey for 
probably close to seven years. I started swapping out products seven years ago. I was in college and it was very, very rare thing for someone to be doing at that age. But the point is that it, it, it's a slow process. It's a slow build. And, and now I'm at the point where I've swapped a lot of items, but there are kind of bigger ticket items that are still toxic. For example, my rug, it's not made out of wool and my clothing, like this is polyester. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a little cotton in this, but there's polyester in my clothing. And while I love to educate and share about natural fibers and natural home design tips and things like that, the reality is it is not sustainable or realistic to throw out my entire closet or all of my furniture and rugs and furnishings. It just doesn't make sense. So I, I sometimes show up and let's say I'm doing a podcast about non-toxic clothing and then I record a story and I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, will they know that this is, but yeah. I think people understand me, you know, my community understands me that I'm honest, I'm real about it. I try to be and I, I hope mm-hmm. I don't come across as someone who's like only wearing natural fibers 100% of the time and everything that touches my body is like from the earth. It's it's just not possible. Right. I mean, we yeah. can strive for that, but mm-hmm. it's not realistic. And like you said, it's baby steps. I mean, I have seven kids and we've just started to consider like what those children are putting on their bodies as far as clothing and stuff mm-hmm. and how that affects them. And I am working towards, you know, I can sew and I've been thinking, you know, I've been collecting different patterns so that I can awesome. sew more, more of their own clothes, their clothes and my own clothes. And, but yeah, I'm not just going to go throw out all of their clothes and it, that wouldn't make sense. And that wouldn't be the best use of my time and efforts mm-hmm. either, to be honest. There's, there's other more important things and other more important things like sitting down and reading them a book. You know, yeah. it's not just about, like we said, the toxins and the things we're wearing. And Absolutely. Wow, this has been an incredible conversation, Stacy. And I, I wish we could keep chatting forever. And we definitely seem so like-minded. But in closing, where can everyone find you? Where I know you shared about your community and your website and your YouTube, but if you can remind everyone of your your handles and where they can find you. You can pretty much find me all over the internet at The From Scratch Farmhouse. So I have a blog, The From Scratch Farmhouse, on Instagram, YouTube, recently TikTok, although I don't know, <laughs> I'm not a big TikTok person, but I created an account. So on all social platforms as The From Scratch Farmhouse. Awesome. And then if you go to my blog, you can also find the link to my membership as well. Awesome. I'll make sure all of that gets linked in the show notes. And thank you again for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. One more thing before you go. Are you subscribed to Lifelong Podcast? Have you left a rating and review? Are you following along on Instagram at lifelong underscore pod and at holistic with Heidi? If you're not doing so already, consider doing it to support our show and to help spread this message near and far. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.